0: When that sound cut out, I thought everybody was going to hear me singing. <laughs> I, was, I stopped singing real quick. Whoa. That's a great song, wasn't it? It's a tremendous message. A great job, ladies. Again, we thank you so much. It's uh, an interesting, uh, just an unusual ministry and yet a, a very effective one. And for that, we're grateful. <clears throat> well, tonight we want to... Um, gathering, I want to basically, I, you know, I, I had some ideas this morning about what I might share tonight, and it just, uh, to be quite frank with you, I just forgot all about them. I, I honestly did. I, I just, sometimes I do that. I get up and I got all these ideas, and I go, wow, that's good. And then, like I told my wife on the way in, I said, well, I did have some good ideas. I just can't remember what they were, but <laughs> senior moments. No comments from the peanut gallery, please. (laughs) That's not a senior moment. That's a way of life with me. Are you kidding? But uh, I do want to um, take a few moments tonight. And I decided as I started thinking about it, I thought, my, I had a three-point message this morning. I got through the first. And so many of you were absent. And uh, I told the folks this morning that, you know, we, we're going to deal with stewards of God's finances. I said, wow, you know, <laughs> but I said, it, it, it won't be too bad. It'll be more like going to the dentist and getting a, a cleaning instead of drilling. You know what I mean? It's just, it's going to, we're going to keep it, you know, we're going to keep it light. You know, we're not going to get too heavy. But uh, this morning we started talking about that. And again, we've been dealing with being stewards. Last week we talked about being stewards of God's uh, of, of the faith, I should say, and we addressed that issue. This week we discussed being stewards of God's finances, and we focused our attention primarily just on some ideology, some thoughts, and just some a uh, way to look at some things. And uh, when we were running through it, we talked about what we called the basic tenets. We're just trying to give everybody a, kind of a very foundational view of finances and uh, a stewardship of finances and we talked about the source of all blessing being from God that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and therefore since he created all things in essence it's really all his and we understand that a steward himself or herself is really just one that uh, oversees or manages the substance and possessions of another and so in this case we say that as stewards of 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 god we are really simply managing or overseeing his substance his possessions and so we want to be found faithful the bible tells us over in the book of first corinthians four two which is basically our text verse four this series moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful and so we want to be faithful stewards and in this case this morning, we said we want to be faithful stewards of God's finances. Because we could say they were ours, as we noted this morning, but because of time, we're not going to rehash or summarize all of it. But the reality was we noted that they're truly God's finances, and as a result, we want to be faithful with them. We said the source of all blessing comes from God. He's the Father of lights, and every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, we said. We noted the sorrow of riches. Boy, how sad it can be. One that has everything the world has to offer. And yet they are miserable. And then we noted the street of desire. And we said we need to be very careful that where our treasure is. Because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. We said that basically your heart follows your treasure. So basically, whatever you invest the most in is what you care the most about. And so, we noted that this morning. Now, tonight, I want to pick up where we left off, and I want to begin with the second point that the morning uh, group was not able to uh, glean from, enjoy, and really take in. I want to discuss the biblical tithe. We talked about the basic tenet. Now, let's talk about the biblical tithe And then I want to talk to you for a moment, if we get around to it, and I hope we do, about the brutal taskmaster. And so tonight, hopefully, we can touch on those two points as we move forward in this particular message. And so, without further ado, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll move forward. Father, we thank you again now for this time together. And Lord, we're asking you to supernaturally intervene. Lord, you've been good to us. And how can we thank you, Father, for your goodness and grace? But Lord, we do give you our best, or at least that's our desire, I trust. And Father, tonight as we come gathering together in this place, may we give our best to listening and allowing you to instruct us. Father, may your Holy Spirit truly drive home biblical truth. And Father, may your Word convict us of areas of need or in areas in need of change even. Father, may You empower me and fill me with Your Spirit. May I be Your mouthpiece tonight. For Father, I truly have nothing really to share except it be from Thee. My opinion is no more valuable than anyone else's. But Your Word is authoritative. So Lord, may it be Your Word that we share. May it be You that is magnified and exalted. And Father, may it be we who are changed. Well, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we note the biblical tithe tonight. First of all, we noted that we must be wise concerning the finances that God has entrusted into our hands. In the Old Testament, as you well know, the tithe was required. It was demanded. As it is with all areas of service in the Christian life, we are to go the extra mile. Now, what they did in the Old Testament out of duty, we are to do by grace. And truthfully, we are to exceed by grace. Matthew chapter 5 verse 41 says, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Now, what that's rooted in is a, uh, a law that was created under Roman rule. That Roman law required that if for some reason a soldier was carrying a pack along with them down the street and they saw you or I, they could literally, by law, require you to carry that pack for one mile for them. It wasn't like you had an opportunity to discuss it or somehow say, "Well, but you don't understand, I, I have an appointment at the doctor's at 2 o'clock. I can't possibly carry your, 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 your backpack for a mile. Well, it didn't matter. They said, hey, young man, come up here. You're carrying my pack. You, yes, sir. You grab the pack. You carry it for a mile. Jesus goes on to say, yes, you have to carry the pack a mile. But I'm going to tell you to carry it too. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. See, the first mile is duty. The next mile is your choice. See, he taught the New Testament Christian that what they had done under the law was done out of duty. And you know, we're big on that, aren't we? We like to say things like, I don't like to do things uh, as a result of duty. I don't want to have to do nothing. I want to do it because I want to. Well, guess what? You get to carry the pack the second mile because you chose to. Isn't that a liberating thought? Okay, the first mile you are required to. Ah, this dirty pack, I can't stand carrying it. Get to the end of the mile, you're free to go. That's all right. I'll do an extra mile. You don't have to, I know. The New Testament believer, the principles that we exceed duty, that we exceed the requirement of the law, that we willingly go the extra mile. See, living our lives by grace permits us to not only fulfill the law, but exceed the law. See, often, you know, we get in these big debates today in New Testament Christianity, you know, because we're really big into grace nowadays. It's more than ever, it seems like. The only problem is, the grace that we're big into is not the grace that says, I get to do more for Jesus than ever. It's the grace that says, I don't have to do as much. Well, wait a second. I don't know that that's really the definition of grace in the Bible. I don't know that grace ever was given to us so that we could do less or nothing for God and still have the benefits of knowing Him. I'm not convinced that that's exactly what God intended when He gave us or extended grace to us. I, I love liberty. And I love the idea that, that my Christianity or my salvation is not rooted in works. And then I am free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ as led by the Spirit and the Word of God. But that liberty was never meant to be a license to sin against the God of heaven. Amen. Living our lives by grace, then, not only enables us to fulfill the law, but now to exceed it. And no one should have to strong-arm us or make us give anything. I mean, we should give willingly and gladly, expecting God's blessings. Now, let me just make this statement, and it's an interesting statement. I think you'll find it very helpful. We tip waitresses more than we give God. Most tip waitresses more than they give God. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? What percentage do you give to the waitress for her service to you or to his service to you? You say, well, you've got to give 15 or 20% these days or at least 18 on most places. Well, isn't it sad to think that we give more to someone that serves us bread and water than we do the one who served us by dying on Calvary? Doesn't that bother you to think that way? See, the reality today is this. The tithe is the starting place for New Testament Christianity. It is the beginning place for the New Testament believer's giving. And every single new believer, the moment you come to Christ, you need to begin with the tithe immediately In order to receive the full blessings of God in your life. Again, we don't have the time to go back through history. And note that long before the law was instituted. The father of our faith, Abraham. Was giving the tithe. And teaching his offspring to give the tithe as well. Then under the law, they were required to give the tithe. We... Get to give the tithe. And because of grace, have the privilege of giving much more. That one gets a lot of amens. Thank you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, the Bible says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, See that ye abound in this grace also. Do you know that giving is a grace? If you'd look at the context of the chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you'd find that it has to do with giving. What he's saying is, we're very quick to want to abound in certain graces. I mean, we want to abound in faith, and in utterance, and in knowledge, and in diligence, and even our love toward those that like the pastor or the evangelist or those who invest their lives in us. But wait a second. He says, see that ye abound in this grace also. Giving is a grace and it is a privilege today. And yet so often it seems in our culture and our society that it's anything but that in the house of God. See, giving is addressed in Second Corinthians chapter 9 by the Apostle Paul as well. And from this particular passage in chapter 9, we learn much about the Spirit and attitude of giving. And I want you to listen to this. You may turn if you like, Second Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, but I'm just going to read it. It says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart... So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now may I make a statement that helps me to, I guess, put this verse in proper perspective. Because I do believe that often it is misunderstood when we say things like, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, we go... Woo! Huh! I'm off the hook. Now it's up to me what I want to give. Wait a second. Are you saying, woo! I'm off the hook. It's up to me what I want to give. Or is it, woo! I'm off the hook. It's up to me what I want to give. The passage is not intended to justify a lack of giving. Right. Amen. But instead to reinforce the right under grace to give above and beyond. See, it's assumed that the New Testament believer with his many spiritual blessings will undoubtedly desire to give abundantly. How could we not want to give abundantly to God and His work and His people? How could we not want to participate in the act of giving and the grace of giving? How come we, we, why would we ever want to withhold, the, uh, be, uh, take a chance on missing out on the many blessings that God has bestows on those who give graciously after all that God has done for us? See, under grace, we're not free to dismiss giving, but provided greater opportunity to give. Amen. And giving is simply an expression of our great love and appreciation for God and the much pro- provision that He gives to us. Now, let me put the rest of misunderstanding that sometimes in churches and and amongst congregations we get the wrong idea. You know, often we we misunderstands God's motivation for giving itself. You know, we hear the man of God or the preachers stand up and thunder about the tithe and giving and offerings and all of those things. And we get the impression that it's all about giving to the church. And that's about the only one that benefits from it all. The church. The pastor gets a salary. The pastor gets it easy. It's like that little joke we've heard a number of times, and I can't quote it properly, and I won't be able to share it perfectly, but the little children gathered together and said, what does your daddy do? And said, I don't have a clue now. I forgot all the joke. But anyway, it all ends up saying this. You know, my daddy, he, he takes up... I can't remember it now, but anyway. See, I'm terrible at jokes. I'd have to have it written down or I can't tell him. But anyway, and even then, you know I'm no good at telling jokes. But nonetheless... Who cares? I'm moving right on now. I'm trying to buy time and it's not working. It's just not happening. It's not clicking. But the bottom line is, is that when we give, it has never been God's intention that he benefits. See, God is never a debtor to you or I. And so the real goal of giving has nothing to do with the church having abundance of finances. That's not the purpose of God allowing us to participate in giving. See, tithing is not supporting God's business. You say, that doesn't make sense. I thought that we paid the bills with that money. Hold on a second, let me finish. A person does not give one dime of tithe to keep God in business. God keeps His people in business. See, the Bible says every good gift cometh down from the Father of lights. So let me ask you, is God handicapped tonight? Is God in need tonight? Is God desperate for our help tonight? Each and every situation, the answer is the same, no. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the Creator and the Possessor of all things. We are merely merely the benefactors of this marvelous grace and mercy. You and I are the ones that benefit from our giving. God provides us this wonderful opportunity. He says, give and it shall be given unto you. You, you You know what I would do? If I had a marital problem right now, Let's just be real practical and simple. I want to make sure that I'm obedient with God. So the first thing I'm going to do is make sure that I'm giving according to God's Word. You say, well, that has nothing to do with my relationship with my wife. It has everything to do with it because you're a robber and a thief. Can you imagine? Can you imagine for just a moment walking up to God with a gun, sticking it in his head and say, I'm not giving you what's rightly yours. It's not yours. It's mine now. I'm stealing it. I'm robbing you. And that's exactly what the word rob means to take by force what is not yours. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You've got a problem in your home, you better straighten out the very basics. I'd get that right first. Because that's something you can get right. You say, but that would be tough. Well, it beats losing your marriage. Beats losing your child to the devil. And I'm just saying if we're not doing the basics, then my what are we to do? If we're not obedient in the simple things, the very clear scriptures, the very plain scripture. Again, it's the beginning place, though. It's the mere starting place. I don't know about you, but I want God's blessing in my life. I do. But don't ever forget that giving is for our benefit, not God's. He doesn't need my tithes and offerings. He don't even need my missions giving. He allows me to have a part in it and blesses me as a result of it. Same it is with you. Now, what about the rest of that money? What about that 90% that we talk about says, well, that 90 percent's mine then? Well, is it really? No. We're still stewards of those finances. We discussed that at length this morning. The reality is is that if we want to get down to it, it's all really God's to begin with. So when God asks for 10% back, minimum, which I think often in any believer's life, you've been a Christian any time at all, you're going to be giving more. A number of you give much more than 10%, I'm sure. And that's a good testimony to others, by the way. I'm not saying we need to run around telling everybody what we give, but I'll tell you what, when a new Christian walks through the door and you're discipling them, you probably need to tell them when you're giving more than a tithe. You let them know that you're involved in that mission. And you need to tell them how much sometimes. You need to let them know what the real standards around here are. What people of God really do. What those that are faithful really do involve themselves with. You say, well, that's pride. No, it isn't. It has nothing to do with pride. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. If a person doesn't know what's right, he can't possibly live up to it. I'm just telling you, if God's blessed you in your giving, then you make sure you tell that disciple how God's blessed you in your giving. And give them some concrete illustrations. Don't you want them to experience the blessings you have? Well, how are they going to do that unless you set the example? If you have a productive prayer life, wouldn't you share that with them? If you have a productive life in the Word of God, wouldn't you share that with them? Of course. If you have a productive prayer life, a giving life, a grace-giving life, and God's blessing you're giving, then why wouldn't we share that too? I want them to experience that also. So he says, well, that's just not right. What you give is personal and private. Then you keep it personal and private. But when I want to help somebody, sometimes they need to know what I'm doing. I wouldn't hide it and say, boy, I really think your marriage is really working out well. It's none of your business. Well, can I? could you help me with my marriage? No, I can't tell you any of our secrets. That's between me and my wife and God. Well, you'd say that's foolish, preacher. But then we'll take a young Christian that's just saved and we're in a position to spiritually guide them. Maybe they're a convert of ours. We led them to Christ. They're our son or daughter in the faith. And we'll say things like, what they give is all up to them. I'm not going to hit on that. I'm not going to touch on it. Well, So we just hide them from the blessings. We withhold that side of it. How many of you have been blessed by your giving? Thank you. Sometimes we get so secret about things that God has blessed us with, we can't even lift up God as a result of it. I don't think you have to broadcast it everywhere. You don't have to pat yourself on the back. You don't have to go around telling everybody every dime you give. That's not what I'm talking about. And if you think that's what I'm talking about, you obviously don't understand who and what I am. But I'll say this much. That young believer needs to know the sacrifices that some of the old saints make. Otherwise, they'll never become the old saints that you are. What do we do with the rest of that 90 then? Number one, biblically, scripturally, watch this. And may I keep these in the proper order. Listen now. Number one, I'm going to supply the work of God. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I can make a number of investments in this world. But I'll guarantee you they'll never yield the same yield that I'll get by investing in that one. I'm telling you, if you really believe there's a heaven, if you really believe there's a God keeping record, if you're really convinced that there are rewards one day... How in the world can we not invest in tomorrow? Oh, by the way, you didn't hear me say at the expense of your children going hungry, did you? Hold on now. Don't put words in the preacher's mouth. Hey, by the way, this is Sunday Night Crowd. I can act like this. Because you can take it. Supply the work of God. What's he say in Malachi 3.10? Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. 1 Corinthians 16.2 Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. You say, well, that's just the tithe. Well, I guess so, but last time I checked, we got a building fund. Last time I checked, we got missions. Last time I checked, we got people that are in need. And I know how some of you give. It doesn't stop with that tithe, does it? I know better. Praise the Lord for that. Supply the work of God. But number two, it's to support the family He's entrusted you with. What's the Bible saying? in 1 Timothy 5.8? But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Boy, that's a big one today. Don't you wish we could teach that coming out of the colleges in America? Wouldn't it be nice if all the young men that graduated from high school and college actually worked and or at least strived to provide? I don't mean to be cantankerous. I'm not trying to be nasty. I would... Grace, Lord. Grace. Ladies, do yourself a favor. Do not marry a guy that wants to be a stay-at-home mom. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not saying that maybe for a while he won't get stuck there losing a job or getting an accident or hurting his back. I understand those things happen. Man, if he ain't got no drive to say, I'm the man of this home, I want to provide for my family, I may not be able to give you everything you want, but I'll kill myself trying. You better just stay as far away from him as you can. And if, if you don't believe me, you talk to some of the women that unfortunately get stuck in that situation, they'll, they'll warn you themselves. Finally, strengthen those less fortunate. We do that That's that money supposedly that's ours. Well, again, like we said, we support the work of God. We, or sh- should I say we supply the work of God. We support the family He's entrusted to us. But then we also strengthen those less fortunate. Boy, as believers, we have such a responsibility to let Christ be seen in our giving. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible teaches us that when that all that believed were together and had all things common and they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. I'm not suggesting that we all go out and have communal living. Sell your homes, your possessions, let's all get together and move out into the booty somewhere and create some kind of complex and all live there together. Are you kidding me? You drive me nuts. <laughs> can, you imagine, can you imagine four or five hundred pairs of shoes outside the door? It's bad enough with five or six. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Hold on. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 really puts it in proper perspective. But whoso hath this world's good and see if his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And how in the world can you see your brother? And I believe in this particular passage, he's talking about those brothers and sisters. How in the world can I look upon my brother or my sister that's struggling, that has nothing, and they're going hungry, and I have an opportunity to help them, I have the ability to, but I will not allow myself to have any feelings in that direction. He said, how can you have the love of God? So we know the tithe. The, as I put it here, let me make sure I say it properly, the biblical tithe. So we noted the basic tenets, the biblical tithe. Let's talk real quickly about the brutal taskmaster. Again, we're talking about being good stewards of God's finances. Let's be honest now. The brutal taskmaster master, is none other than a four-letter word. D-E-B-T. Debt. Debt. Hey, debt has become a culture. We are training our children that debt is a way of life. Let me just ask you, how's it working for you? And I'm not trying to be funny even. I certainly don't want my children to grow up bound by debt. See, not only are we teaching our, a whole generation that it's okay, but we're saying it's absolutely necessary. It's not a choice. It's a necessity. It's just life. Isn't that what we teach them? At least our culture does. If we'd go back 50 years, 60 years, what do you think the cultural terrain would look like as far as debt? Can I ask you this? Do you think there were more bankruptcies back in 1950 and 60 than there are today? You know why you, you think you know why that is, and so do I. We think, if we're not careful, that it's because things cost so much more now. And because, well, it's just the way life is. No, it's because people overextend themselves for things they do not need to begin with. And then they also believe they have a way out called bankruptcy. It's an out. It is a culture of debt that we live in. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 17 says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Well, that's a pretty scary statement. The borrower is servant to the lender. Who are you a servant to? Who am I a servant to? You say, I'm a servant of God. Really? Is that true? Well, I guess to some degree. That's my point. Do I think that everybody has this one figured out? By no means. I think we're all warring with it, struggle with it all the time. But hold on a second. If we want to be good stewards of God's finances, then we need to be very careful before we enter into any debt. And the truth is, is that if it's truly debt, meaning that we do not have assets of sorts to ultimately repay the loan that we took. Then in reality, it's unscriptural. Because the Bible says that we become servant to the lender. We got to be careful with this one. I don't care what the world says is normal. It doesn't matter what the financial counselors tell us. And it doesn't matter when you walk into that bank and they say, Oh, you are approved for this much of a loan. Do you know how many people I've had walk out and say to me as a pastor, Well, pastor, listen, I just want to know, what do you, what do you think about that house? Do you think it's nice? I say, man, it's really nice. Well, they told me that I qualify for this much money. I said, whoa, 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 put the brakes on. Wow. It seems to me the last few years we've gotten a real taste of what that brought about. Let's note the most common culprit of unnecessary debt, though. Let's talk about unnecessary debt. Okay, let's not talk about house payments. At least you have a house, though, to go against your loan. Now, unfortunately, because houses have lost so much equity and value, you know what I mean? It's put us all in a bad spot if you own a house. But hold on. Let's just talk about the most common culprit of unnecessary debt. Credit cards. Now watch, experts all agree that you will spend more if you use credit cards. Even by paying the bills on time, you're not beating the system, they say. Now, when you pay cash, and this is all uh, something I read, it says you can feel the money leaving you. You ever been there? You know what it's like to buy, hold on, pizza for the family and pay cash? It's a lot different than paying with a credit card. Do you know it's a lot easier to order eh, some breadsticks when you can just throw it on the credit card? It's easier to throw a few wings in there or a two liter when it's a credit card than it is when you actually have to Count it out of your wallet and then hand it to the person. There is a difference. You feel it when it's cash. A study of credit card use at McDonald's, they know something about that, found that people spent 47% more when using credit instead of cash. Isn't that amazing? And by the way, that's money that you could have saved. I wonder how many of those frappes and those coffees and those drinks would you not have purchased if you had to buy them with cash? I wonder how many of those 20 or 24 ounce coca Colas that you would have purchased out of that bin or that cooler if you'd had to pay for it with cash. I mean, how many times we go through the line and say, I just grab something and throw it on the counter to the kids. How many times would you have done that if you actually had to pay for it with cash? I'm just saying, you and I would probably agree that it's much easier to spend plastic than it is cash. Dave Ramsey, host of a nationally syndicated financial radio program, made the statement, personal finance is 80% behavior, he said. 80% behavior. You need to cut out habits that make you spend more. You do not build wealth with credit cards. Use common sense. When you play with a multi-billion dollar industry and you think you're going to win at their game, you're naive. You cannot beat the credit card companies. By the way, the average credit card debt per household with credit card debt Again, it's an average. I mean, take the top and the bottom, but it's fifteen thousand seven hundred and ninety-nine dollars. You'd probably be amazed how many people at Community Baptist Temple have over five thousand on credit cards. I think I would be amazed. Average number? I don't even know though. I don't. But I think I'd be amazed. And I think you would be too. Some of you would feel a lot better knowing that it wasn't only you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Woo! I thought I was the only one. Well, we learned that that's not the case, folks. I'm telling you, this is an epidemic problem. Average number of credit cards held by credit card holders or card holders, 3.5. Now, that was as of the year-end 2008. It's probably increased since then. Average APR on new credit card offers, as of this year, it was 14.89%. The average credit card holder has 3.5 cards we mentioned already, but as of 2009, now listen to this one, as of 2009, 84% of the student population overall have credit cards. An increase of approximately 11% since the fall of 2004. So within five years, it went up 11%. Wait a second, it's been three years since. Don't you think it's probably a little higher now? As believers, we're to be servants of God, but often it seems that we become servants to the lender. It seems that we're bound by debt today so often. And instead of being free to serve God, we're obligated and responsible to a man or an institution in many cases. Now, again, there's a number of principles that govern things like this. Let's face it, if you are in... Well, I don't even want to go into it. I don't have time. But there's a number of reasons why things sometimes may turn or twist. But hold on. Be careful that you don't give yourself the exception rules when you don't truly need them. If you buy a car that costs $20,000 and you're going to make $60,000 because you had to buy that car, that's a good investment. That's not debt. But hold on. We need to be very careful how we, what we do with our money. Watch this. Each one of us, every one of us in this room has probably experienced being behind the eight ball financially at some point. And every one of us know that debt strangles God's people and it ties their hands. When someone tells me this, Preacher, I can't afford to give. Do you know what they just said to me? I have too much debt. They owe someone else money. So what does debt do to us? As the believer, it hinders our work for God. Often it forces us to work every bit of overtime we can. It forces us to take that second job. It forces us right out the doors of God's house often. Not only does it hinder our work for God, but it withholds our giving to God. I mean, we spend what we don't have, therefore it leaves nothing for God. Number three, it steals our joy. We're burdened with guilt and we're overwhelmed with stress. When people were asked what they least wanted to talk to somebody they recently met, do you know what the answer was? Their debt. You know what it was after that? Their love life. Isn't that amazing. We're so embarrassed of our debt, really. It's very personal to us. I gotta wonder as believers sometimes if we're not convicted about it but we just feel there's no way out of it. We don't think there is help, nor is there help for us. But I want you to know there is. You don't have to live like that. You can be free of it. It'll cost you something, but you can get victory over this. In Matthew 22, 21, the Bible says, Render therefore unto Caesar that which is, of the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Do you know that the majority of believers give much more to the world than to God and His work? You say, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to prove it to you real quick. Most have at least one car payment, one house payment, and at least one credit card. Now, let's just say for a moment that you buy a car for $20,000 at 4% interest on a six-year loan, and your payment is $313 a month. That's what it would be, by the way. $247 of that goes to principal. $66 of that goes to interest. Now, before it's over with, you'll have paid almost $3,000 in interest. So $66 a month is interest. Now, you take your house payment. You buy a $100,000 house at 6% interest on a 30-year mortgage, you've got a $600 house payment approximately. Now, that's just the house payment, mind you. That wouldn't include all your taxes and all of that. But now you've got $100 of principal to start with, 500 of interest every month. You say, that's ridiculous. No, you look at your amortization schedule, you'll see that to be the case. See, by the time you pay your house off, You'll have paid $116,000 in interest. It'll take 19 years before your principal for the year will equal your interest paid for the year. See, it's always top loaded. You always pay your interest first and your principal second. 19 years into this loan, you'll be paying an equal amount. Let's assume that you have a $5,000 credit card, that you, you've put $5,000 on it, and uh, your interest rate's 14.9%, which some of you will say, well, I transfer it down to this and I transfer it to that. That's fine. Praise the Lord for all that. Good for you. You're very wise to do so. But let's just assume for the sake of illustration that it is 149 or that maybe you missed one payment on that 0% one. You were late one time, and guess what it goes to after that? You know, yeah, so do I, you are paying $65 a month for this card. Do you realize that it will take you 20 years to pay that off? I'm just paying the minimum. It's all interest. You know that you'll pay $15,600 in interest on a $5,000 credit card at 14.9% is that amazing? Three times the amount in interest than the actual debt. So here's what you pay out every month in interest. $631 a month interest. Now listen, I'm not opposed. I understand house payments and all that. I do realize that. At least you got something to show for it. I realize all that. But for the sake of the illustration, what I'm trying to get us to see as believers is... We are responsible for what we spend God's finances on. And in this particular case, $631 goes to who? Caesar. That's $631 a month that will never go to God. Ever. I'm not saying don't buy a house. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not even saying don't buy a car. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, we need to be aware that what we spend our money on when we go into debt what we have really what we're really doing is designating certain funds to caesar and saying god can never touch those or my testimony will be ruined so as much as you can manage as hard as you can we need to be very careful before we start Writing our name on dotted lines, and we need to at least realize what the cost is, so that we're not going into it blindly. That's all. Preacher, I can't tithe, can't afford it, I can't give, I can't participate in giving. I wonder how much you make a month—two hundred a month? I mean, two thousand a month? Three thousand a month gross? Four thousand a month gross? I don't know. Either way, we're paying Caesar more than we're giving to God. That's just all there is to it, isn't it? So what kind of steward of God's finances are we? And again, I, I I'm not here to to throw darts and I'm not here to, you know, call fire out of heaven. That's not my goal here. I, I just want us to be aware. I don't think we realize what we're teaching our Children in the next generation. We are literally tying their hands concerning serving God and giving to God and experiencing the joy of the Lord in their life. You know, everything costs something in life, everything costs something. I would like to believe that when I pay, it's to God. He deserves it. All the world wants to give me is a bunch of heartache. I'm not opposed to borrowing money. I'm not. You obviously know that. Let me tell you something. I would never have bought the carousel for $1.5 million. Never in a million years. Never in a million years. Listen. I don't know about you, but... I want to make sure that whatever I do, however I spend my money, so to speak, or God's finances, that it, it doesn't do this to me. And it doesn't keep me out of the very place that I feel God wants me. That's all. And that it doesn't steal what God really wants for me more than anything, and that's joy. That's all. Avail yourself to the things of God. Don't let debt strangle you. And if you're in debt today and it's strangling, then you be willing to pay the price to get out of it. And it's going to cost something. But it'll be worth it, I promise you. When you look back and go, whew, free at last, free at last. Hallelujah, free at last. It will be a blessing. Father, we come to you. Lord, we thank you, Father, for just blessing us, meeting our needs, providing for us. Father, I, I believe in my heart that there are a number of folks, even in our church, that would love to be able to provide.